Tell me, what makes a hymn a great hymn? What is it? You know, I just, you know, sometimes people today are trying to get away from the hymns, but I want that that be a big mistake because the hymns are great. They're, they're great because they're biblical, for one thing. They are God-centered, God-saturated, cross-oriented, you know. So they're, they're great, blood-stained, you might say. And they're great because uh, they're singable. They're singable, and they're memorable. The tunes stick in your mind. Uh, I, I probably shouldn't say this being a preacher, but I can't remember a single sermon that I ever heard before I was 17 years old. I, sorry about that, but I can remember songs that we sang from the time I was four years old or three years old, maybe, and those songs stick with me, and uh, I'm sorry for the pastors that I had back then. I, I mean, I apologize to them. I wasn't listening, but all of you are listening, right? So, okay, amen. All right, that's good, and then they're great because uh, they are memorable, and they stir feelings and thoughts and emotions in our heart when we hear them. I hear some of these songs and and it just it just a rush of uh, positive emotion comes over me. And uh, and then they're great because they're congregationally singable. There's a lot of music today and I'm not knocking the music today, but a, a lot of the music today is more performance oriented they're more presentational and they're not congregational it's it's hard to sing with some of the some of the modern music you can be blessed by it but it'd be hard for a congregation to sing and I've been in some uh contemporary services uh where uh, the uh, the music on the stage was great but nobody was singing Nobody was singing. Even though the words were on the screen, nobody was singing. They were listening. And, uh, and there's a time for that. I think there's a time for that and a place for that. But I tell you, there's nothing that's better than hearing a congregation join together and sing these great songs. Well, that's all bonus. That's extra. No charge for that or anything. I just thought it would be good for you to know what makes a, a great hymn. The reason they last is because of those four things. Maybe some other things that I hadn't mentioned too. Uh, we're looking at the Gospel of John. From now on, probably, for, I'm going to try to take big chunks. It would be easy for me to spend about seven years in the Gospel of John. But uh, I'm going to try not to do that. I'm going to try to do it in, in maybe uh, four uh, <laughs> or less. And uh, But it'll just depend. But... Uh, uh, the the introduction we looked at last week, the prologue, it's called, to the Gospel of John. And this was in uh, chapter 1, of course, verse 1. And, and in those first few verses, Jesus is identified as the Word of God. He was pre-existent. He was co-existent. And he was self-existent. He was God and he was with God. And he made everything that was made all. Oh, we could have just gone for a long time just on those first four verses, five verses. But then verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. I tell you, uh, Luke starts uh, and Matthew starts a story back with the birth of Jesus and everything like that. But when John starts it, 
he just starts out with the ministry of Jesus. He starts out with the pre-existence of Jesus, and then when he talks about the ministry of Jesus, he says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. I like that. You know, I was just thinking this, uh, this week, how many Johns they have been in church history. Uh, John Wesley, John Wycliffe, John Calvin, John Huss, John MacArthur in our day, John Piper, John Brooks. These great men of God, men named John, uh, and, and another John over here too, you know. And there's made me almost wish my name had been John because it says a man was sent from God whose name was John. And this John, what John is he talking about here? John the Baptist, that's right. Little, uh, little pop quiz on last week's uh, uh, message. Who wrote the Gospel of John? John, all right. And which John? John the Apostle. And he never uses his own name in here, but he refers to himself as what? The, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's right. And we said that he uses lots of words, lots of times he used the word love uh, over 90 times. He uses the word in, in all of the uh, Johannine literature. He uses the word uh, truth many times. But what word does he use more than any other word in the Gospel of John? What? Well, it does Jesus, that's for sure. But well, what verb? You remember? I'm going to go back and preach that sermon again. <laughs> believe, believe, believe. He says it over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, he says at the end of the book, these things I've written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So, uh, so he's, he's, he makes it clear what this book's about. He wants us to believe. He wants us... To, to let our faith be anchored and to be able to say, my faith has found a resting place, and it's in Jesus himself. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might it is, believe through him. He was not the light. John wasn't the light. He came to bear witness about the light, the true light, which enlightens everyone who was, com was coming into the world. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus is referred to as light? You know the world's a dark place, and you know that. The Bible refers to our heart as dark hearts. Our hearts, our minds are darkened by sin. And ever since the fall, you know, when, when Adam and Eve were created, I believe they were actually clothed with light. That's the reason the Bible says they didn't have any clothes on and they weren't ashamed because they were, they were clothed with the glory and the light of God. But when they sinned, the light went out. And suddenly they saw themselves as ashamed. And in, and, and in the presence of a holy God, they, they suddenly felt a need to cover themselves. And men have been trying in this darkened world 
been trying religiously to cover themselves and hide themselves from God ever since. But, some, but one day, God sent light into this dark world. And that light enlightens our, our minds. The Bible says that God, who said, let there be light, has caused light to shine in our dark hearts. Has the light come on in your heart? You know, there's a lot of people today who walk in darkness. They live in darkness. In fact, the Bible says that men love darkness more than light because their deeds are evil. I was on the grand jury down at uh, in Waxahachie back several years ago, and the assistant district attorney came in, and he said, you're going to learn two things in, uh, in this grand jury uh, episode. You're going to learn, first of all, that not much good happens after dark. That most of the crimes, most of the things that bad happen, they happen in the dark. And he said, the second thing you'll learn is that criminals are not very smart. <laughs> and, uh, and sure enough, as we uh, took case after case after case, almost all of them happened in the night. And the second point was illustrated as well, too. Okay? So... There was a, a, John was, was not the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And that amazes me. You know, it amazes me that people can look at the world that God made and and not know that there is a God who made it. That just seems ridiculous to me. I was there an illustration the other day about if, if you were sent to a, an island and they said, now here's the thing, we want you to go and study this island, but there's this one presupposition, there's this one truth that you have to understand. No human has ever been on that island, ever. And so you work, you start with that presupposition. So I get to that island, they drop me in, and, and I get to walking around, and I find a hut built here, a little shack. And out beside the shack, there's this garden, and it's all laid out in rows, and, and, and it's got little signs uh, saying peas and beans and butter beans and squash and things like that. And so I, I signal back to the people that sent me, and I said, hey, somebody's been here. They said, no, 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 no. Nobody's been there before. You're the first human to ever set foot on that island. And so you've got to explain everything on that island with that understanding. Nobody's ever been here. I said, well, I, how am I going to do that? They said, well, we don't care how you do it. You, you've got to make up something. You've you got, you got to come up with some kind. So I said, well, okay, I guess we'll say that a big storm came in here and Blew all this wood together and built this shack, and it just kind of developed. And, and as far as the garden is concerned, I guess I uh, have to say the same wind uh, blew seeds in here. And so, so I go back and I write up my report. There'd be some people who'd read that report and say, you know, you're just crazy. If there was a shack there, and if there was a garden there, and if there were other things, if there were footprints there, there were other things there. There had to be some people there. Well, I think 
we have a thousand times more evidence that God <laughs> has made this world than I would have that some man lived on that island. And for people to look at it and say, well, let's come up. You know, we're going to rule out the existence of God. We're going to say there is no God. And so, therefore, we've got to explain everything by some other means. And I'm just telling you, that's crazy. That really is just crazy. And it's so much easier to believe the first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not hard for me to believe. But I tell you, the idea that somewhere back there 18 billion years ago, something exploded. And you think, well, what, what exploded? And where did it come from? But anyway, it exploded. And, and out of it, everything that we see just kind of gradually developed and evolved. I, I just got to tell you, honestly, that absolutely makes no sense at all to me. I don't see how intelligent people can believe that. And the only way they can is because their minds are darkened. And they don't, they don't want to see the light. And atheists can't find God for the same reason that a criminal can't find a policeman. They're not looking for one. They, they're not, they, don't want, they don't want God. And they love darkness rather than light. Well, he was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own people, and his own didn't receive him. He came, presented himself. And look, Jesus came to the Jewish people. And they had had 1,800 years or longer of promise and preparation. A Messiah is going to come. He's coming. He's coming. The prophets and the priests and the kings, they all said, someday he's coming, someday he's coming. And then Jesus came. And he stood right there in front of his own people, and they, his own rejected him. And we think, that's so unbelievable almost. And yet there are many today who see the evidence for Jesus. And they reject him. They say, as the Jews said, we do not want this man to rule over us. That's the reason people reject Jesus. It's the reason people reject God, because they do not want a Lord other than themselves. And the sad thing is, that those who follow their own ways, the Bible says there is a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in destruction. It ends in destruction. Every time I go to a prison, every time I go to a detention center, every time I go 
to some uh, 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 many, many places and see the results of the sinful choices of people, I think of that verse, the way of the transgressor is hard. The way of the transgressor is hard. And why people continue to persist in it. Why? Because their hearts are darkened and they need the light. So he came to his own. His own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him and believed, there's the word, and believed in his name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that wonderful? In our natural state, our natural birth, we came into Adam's family. We are children of Adam by our first birth. But we can have, praise God, a second birth. And Jesus said, you must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. And when a person is born again, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called God's children. God's children. Not many of us, maybe none of us here, are <clears throat> rich or famous or into royalty, families of wealth and position and honor. But every one of us who have believed in Jesus are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Isn't that amazing? And all those people who have wealth and honor and status and property, if they don't know Jesus, a hundred years from now, they will have nothing. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? And Jesus said, if you were to gain the whole world and lose your own soul, you would be at a loss. And yet, so many today, they are seeking the world and losing their soul. To all who did believe in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. How does the new birth come about? It's not by blood. It's not, not by inheritance from our parents. I'm amazed at the number of people that I talk to who are not Christians and they appeal to the fact that they had relatives who were preachers or relatives who were Christians. My wife and I talked to him. And one time he said, uh, well, well, my mother sang in the Methodist choir. You know what she said? Yeah. And I thought, so we asked him, you know, are you a Christian? Do you know Jesus? He says, well, my mother sang in the Methodist choir. I thought, did you even hear my question? That does not answer the question at all. And I've had so many people who say, well, I have, my daddy was a deacon. Or I, you know, look, you have to personally believe. 
God has no grandchildren. He only has children. There are no grandchildren. In other words, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean your children are Christians. They have to believe. You have to believe. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son, full of grace and truth. I think John probably has reference here to the time he went with two other disciples and Jesus up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible tells us that when they, they were up there, that suddenly Jesus lit up like a light bulb. And the light from inside of him was so bright that even his clothes appeared to just shine. And, and there was a brightness so much like looking at the sun in its full strength. And they had to shield their eyes from it. And John says, this is who we're talking about. He came into this world, <clears throat> and we beheld. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory of the Father. And uh, who, is, who is this John, by the way? John, I... Uh, He was the last Old Testament prophet. You say, well, he's in the New Testament. Yeah, but he was in that Old Testament era. And all the prophets spoke of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lamb of God. And John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament dispensation, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He was the subject of Old Testament prophecy himself. Isaiah 40 described how that he would come. And Malachi chapter 4 said there would be a voice crying in the wilderness saying, prepare the way for the Lord. His birth was miraculous. It was due to the direct intervention of the Spirit of God. He was filled with the Holy Spirit from actually even from his mother's womb. He leapt for joy, when Mary came pregnant with Jesus, John the Baptist, who was six months already, six months or seven months developed in the mother's womb, he leapt for joy. He gave a kick and a shout, or I don't know about a shout, but he gave a kick and a woo-hoo. And uh, I imagine uh, Elizabeth's stomach must have and a little boogie-woogie as John the Baptist is rejoicing at the presence of Jesus in his mother's womb. He was a man sent from God. He was a sent to prepare the way for the Lord. Matthew 3, 3 says he came to prepare the way for the Lord. Of him, Jesus said, no one born of woman is greater than John the Baptist. Said there, of all the prophets, Moses, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, of all the prophets, there has never been anyone greater than John the Baptist.
And yet he goes on to say that anyone who is in the kingdom is greater than John. You're greater than John the Baptist. He was the greatest up until that time. But every person who is indwelt by the Spirit of God and born again is greater than John the Baptist. That's amazing. Well, let me see how far I'm going to get today. Uh, he says, this was he. John bore witness of him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he is he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. That's kind of a cryptic thing, isn't it? He said, uh, he was born after me, and yet he existed before me. Again, speaking of his preexistence. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus revealed the Father. So when somebody says, well, I just wonder what God is like, I say, read about Jesus. Because when you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And uh, I'm just going to read these next. I have a lot of comments that I want to make on them, but I'm, gonna, I'm trying to stick to my plan. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? See, the Levites and the priests, the people that worked in the temple, the religious uh, uh, big shots of that day, when they heard about John out here preaching and telling people to repent of their sin and be baptized, they sent a delegation out and they said, hey, who are you? What, what right do you have? What, what are your credentials? By the way, as far as we know, he hadn't been to seminary. He hadn't been to anything. He'd lived out in the wilderness and, and he was a kind of a wild guy, really. And they said, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He said, I, I'm not the Messiah. And they said, well, then, are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not Elijah. The reason they thought he might be Elijah was the Old Testament prophesied that Elijah would come before the Messiah. Now, later, Jesus said, in a sense, John was Elijah. But uh, he said, no, I'm not Elijah. And they said, are you that prophet? And he's talking about the prophet over in Deuteronomy that, that the Bible said that would come before the Messiah. And he said, no. And they said, well, then who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, the Bible says, and they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you're not the Christ or Elijah or the prophet, and John said, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one that you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. 
And the next day, and by the way, the humility of John, I just appreciate that so much. He said in another place, I must decrease, he must increase. I tell you, there are a lot of, a lot of preachers today that cannot enjoy the success of the ministry of other preachers. That's sad to me. When I was in college, I would go to the Tennessee Baptist Pastors Conference that met once a month on the, our campus at Union University. And I stopped going after a while just because of all of the arrogance and pride that I saw among many of the successful Baptist preachers. Now, I know that's judgmental, and I, I have tried to repent of that, but I can't quite help it. It's just that if one man said, you know, God really bless us, we had 20 people saved. Oh, well, we had 24 saved at our church. And I just think, why can't you just say, praise God, I'm so happy for you. And I tell you, John the Baptist, he had a different spirit. He could have been in competition with Jesus. He could have resented the fact that they came to him and said, all of your disciples are leaving you and going to him. And he said, that's good. That's good. He said, I'm just a sign. I'm just a voice saying, look at him. And I don't want them looking at me. Amen. And what a, what a marvelous spirit. Oh, how that ought to characterize all of our lives. Somebody asked me about the church that's gone in next door to us over here. They said, what do you think about putting in a church right next to I said, I, I praise God for it. I went over and met the pastor, and I prayed with him. And I said, I'm praying that God's going to reach lots of people through your ministry. And he said, well, that kind of surprises me. He said, I was afraid you'd, you'd think we were in competition with each other. I said, the Bible says the fields are white under harvest. And there's plenty of room in both of our places to be full and still need another church on the next corner. And I do. I pray for their ministry. I pray for any Bible-preaching, gospel-centered ministry. I pray God bless them. And, and if somebody came and joined here, we had somebody that came here one time, and they said, you know, we just don't feel like this is the church for us. And I said, that's fine. That, uh, and, and they went to another church nearby that, that I appreciate and love and and they kind of called and apologizing. I said, are you where you believe God wants you to be? Yes, we do. I said, then don't, you have nothing to apologize for. Praise God. You're where you need to be. And uh, I just think, I just appreciate John. As people begin to leave him and go to Jesus, he said, that's, that's why I came. He said, I, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And then John bore witness, and he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is 
the Son of God. And the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. And you know, <clears throat> I love that title, the Lamb of God. In, uh, in Genesis chapter 4, we have the Lamb typified when Cain offered a better sacrifice. I mean, when Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, he offered a lamb and the blood was shed. So in Genesis 4, we have the lamb typified in the firstling of the flocks of Abel. Second, we have the lamb prophesied in Genesis 22, 8, where Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide himself a lamb. In Exodus 12, we have the lamb's blood applied when the children of Israel were in Egypt and God told them to kill a Passover lamb and put the blood on the doorposts and on the lentils of the house. And they did, and the blood was applied. Fourth, in Isaiah 53, 7, we have the lamb personified. This is the first time that we learned that the lamb would be a human, would be a man, a suffering servant. And then in John 1, 29, we have the lamb identified. Behold the Lamb. John says, look, there he is. Behold the Lamb of God. In Revelation chapter 5, we have the Lamb magnified by the hosts of heaven as they bow before the Lamb and they praise the Lamb that was slain. And then in the last chapter of the Bible, we have the Lamb glorified as all the nations of the world saved people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group bow before the throne and they give praises to the lamb that was slain and this is the lamb that John is talking about when he says behold the lamb of God well that's as far as I'm going to go today hey I did 34 verses that's a record for me I believe in one message 34 verses and by the way, each of the verses deserves a sermon. But uh, I do want us to get the big picture and see the whole thing. Here's the real question. Has the Lamb of God slain for you been applied personally to your life? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that Jesus is the Lamb. Amen. He is the Lamb whose blood was shed for you and for me. He is the light that dispels the darkness. He is the Lamb that atones for the sin. If you have darkness crowding into your life, if you have guilt that you don't know what to do with, Jesus is the answer to both. He is the light that dispels the darkness. He is the lamb whose blood takes away sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opening chapter of
the Gospel of John. Lord, I thank you for the testimony of John the Baptist, this Old Testament voice crying and being a bridge between the Old Testament promises and the New Testament fulfillment. I thank you that he was humble and that he magnified Jesus as the Lamb of God. And I pray for any here today who may not know this Savior in a personal, redemptive way that they might come and trust him today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Do you want to receive him? As many as received him, he gave them the right to be called sons of God. If you're not God's child, if you have not been born again, you say, well, I want to be. Then that want to is an evidence that God's Spirit is drawing you to himself. And uh, the fact that you have an interest in, a desire, is God's great calling on your life. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week and may the Lord richly bless you.